this episode of the Shift Talk podcast. I'm one of your three hosts, Matthew, but unlike the past few weeks, I am actually joined by the other two hosts here in the opening. Uh, Jake and Cruz, say hello. What's up? And uh, we are back here for another episode, and uh, we're glad you're joining us here. Uh, We just thought we'd change it up. That's kind of been a trend here over the past few weeks since we started uh is to kind of keep things fresh and change up the opening as much as we can uh just seeing what feels right and uh i don't know we all wanted to kind of jump in here in the intro this week and just kind of talk a little bit welcome you guys um we do appreciate all the support uh you guys following us on social media and podbean and apple Podcasts. we do appreciate all that um but guys uh how's your week been you guys been watching anything in particular uh Anything you want to talk about that we're not going to cover in the podcast? Uh, I've actually watched a pretty good bit of stuff this week. Uh, caught up, with, caught up on a couple of older movies that I haven't seen um, that I've really always heard a lot about. I watched Magnolia, the Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Uh, came out, in, I believe, in 1999. Is that correct, Cruz? Yeah, 1999. Um, very, very good. Very long movie, but very good. You know. It, when you go into a PTA movie, you you know you're going to get something pretty pretty awesome, and this was no exception there. Um, I also watched Escape from Alcatraz, which was a Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, well, he started and he didn't direct it, but um, I very very much enjoyed that movie, and it's one I'd recommend to everybody. That is, uh, I'm not sure what year that movie came out, but I think it was late '70s. But it really holds up. It's a really exciting, thrilling movie. Um, TV wise, I've also been watching uh, Dave, the show about Little Dicky. <laughs> I don't really, I don't know if you guys are Little Dicky fans, but if you oh, are, man. I definitely, I definitely recommend the show. It's not, it's not like it's the greatest thing in the world, but it is funny and entertaining. It's uh, very vulgar, but you know, if you're a Little Dicky fan, you like his music, then you'll like the show. And Definitely I've, a little big fan. I gotta, I gotta check that out. Is yeah, I, I think you'll like it. Um, you know, it's got some of his, you know, it's got some music in it, but it's you know his personality. He's he really carries the show. It's got some good uh, side characters. Yeah, I, I binge watched all ten episodes this week, so um, I really enjoyed it. And the other thing I've been watching. Uh, along with most of America. Uh, I've been watching The Last Dance, which just concluded you know, a few minutes before we started recording this. And uh, without getting into my feelings on Michael Jordan, I did very much enjoy it. Uh, you know, there's some things that I wish they'd have done differently about it, but you know, it really f- kind of helped fill the, the void that we have with no sports right now. Uh, just being able to see some basketball, even though this is, Basketball that took place, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Uh, it's still good to see that on our screens again. So I very much enjoyed that. Um, Cruz, what have you been watching this week? Uh, yeah, I've kind of just caught up on movies that I've seen before. Uh, I watched Call Me By Your Name again, which is a incredible movie. Super pumped to hear that Luca Guadagnino is going to direct the new Scarface movie that's being written by the Coen brothers. Really excited for that. Because uh, Call Me By Your Name and Suspiria. I haven't seen that. Call Me By Your you, Name. It's on my list, though. Oh, it's so good. And his other movie, Suspiria, both are, are pretty fantastic. Watch Bridesmaids again because my girlfriend wanted to. 
Never saw um, it either. Super it's, solid. Uh, solid. I, I I've always enjoyed it. I like. I have a soft spot for like those Judd Apatow top comedies, even though it's not directed by him. And um, the the only new movie that I've watched recently is Hell Caesar because I'm a big Coen Brothers fan, and I haven't seen that one yet. And they added it to Netflix and. Spot that movie kind of being uh, disliked by a lot of people. I, I really loved it. I thought it was pretty great. It kind of reminded me of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, kind of. But um, it's not. It's not like one of their top tier. But it, it's really good. I, I don't think it's a. I don't it's got think a really it, good cast. It does really have a great movies. I mean, they're just like they're just such great filmmakers, and especially screenwriters too. I mean write some of the best stories so that's pretty much all i've really watched this week but i mean other than you know movies that we're going to talk about today mine is probably the most boring um although i mean i have enjoyed my time but uh i basically just watched a bunch of silicon valley uh trying to finish that uh started a while back but i've got back into it in the past week and i've probably watched I think I watched all of season four and five, and I've started season six, um, and I really enjoy it. I, I don't know why I stopped watching it because it's—I mean, it's hilarious to me. I feel like it's—it's it's definitely not a—it's not a heavy show. Like the, they're not heavy on like the plot, really. The plot kind of just you know happens when it needs to happen, but I don't really care about that. I mean, it's just you're what I'm watching it because it's entertaining and. The writing is really funny, and I, I consistently laugh pretty much at every episode. So, hoping to finish that this week. Um, yeah, I really yeah. feel like that show. Uh, it kind of flew under the radar. Like it's like you said, it's very very good. Every every season is really good. Yeah. It doesn't always get the, I guess, the publicity that it deserves. Like, I just know that I didn't start watching it until you know it already been on TV for a few seasons. But I never heard anything about it before that, really. Um, and it's kind of a shame because, like you said, it's really good. And it's got a bunch of good actors and good characters. I, I mean, I haven't finished it, so I can't really say for certain. But, I mean, I do know that, you know, this is the first season I'm watching that um, T.J. Miller's character is kind of like written out of the show. And, I mean, so far I haven't really noticed much of a like a dip in quality um, I would definitely say from what I've watched so far, the first five seasons, I mean, the quality, it's super consistent. I, it would be really hard to rank uh, the seasons. And I feel like that's kind of a, it's, a, it's one of the better compliments I can give it. It's just, you know, super consistent. Um, yeah. And I the only watch- complaint I have about it is that, you know, it, it, at times it kind of, the story gets a little repetitive, like yeah. the formula that they use, but really that's a, and that's a nitpick for a show like that because you're not really, you're not really watching it for the plot. I mean, you just kind of go with the flow as it regards to that area. You're just yeah. there for the characters and the funny moments, and it, in that aspect, it nails it. That's true, and you you end up liking the characters so much that you don't really care like that the plot is repetitive because that is one of my better bigger complaints. Like, but. I, I kind of look forward to it in a way because I, I want to see these characters succeed. So like whenever the plot just needs to, you know, happen in a certain way, I'm like, I'm just expecting it at that point. But 
all in all, super good show. And I anticipate that I'll enjoy uh, the ending of that. But yeah, that's pretty much it. I do need to catch up on. I need to watch pretty much all the movies you guys said that you watched. Uh, they've been on my radar as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, hate to be short in, short there and boring, but um, I think we could go ahead and get into the meat of the podcast for today. Uh, if you guys are ready to do that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, sure. so the first segment today, um, it's sort of similar to um, a segment we had a couple weeks ago. Um, we're basically each going to pick a movie and uh, that one of the other hosts has not seen, and we're going to pitch them on why they should watch it and why it's an underrated uh, movie that people should give a chance to. So um, without further ado, we're going to move into that right now, and then the review for Whiplash will follow after that. Uh, yeah, actually, there was another movie I watched this week, and I knew once I watched it that I had to use it for the segment. Uh, and it's Seven Psychopaths. I know that you guys haven't seen it. Um, I might get his name wrong, but it's it's written and directed by Martin McDonough, and it's the only movie I haven't seen from him yet, so I've been meaning to watch it. And he is the director and writer of In Bruges and Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, which are both movies and although i don't think seven psychopaths is as great as those two movies it's still such a phenomenal movie i think what i love so much about this movie is that it's almost everything that i love it's got like almost everything that i love about tarantino movies but also a lot of the things i don't like about tarantino movies is absent in this film like characters are so entertaining and eccentric, but it does kind of feel like there's a lot more kind of depth to a lot of them. It's not long. It's like an hour and like 30 minutes and it goes like that. And it's just, it's one of the funniest movies I've seen in a long time. I mean, it's up there with like Coen brother comedies for me. Like there are so many quotable lines in this film. Like, I hang on like every word of dialogue though, because like it's just such an intriguing and entertaining story. It's very meta. It's nice how they work it in. It's just honestly, it's just one of the funniest movies I've seen in a long time. I mean, it's 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 really up there for me. The more I sit with it, I love this movie. And if you guys haven't seen it yet, you guys haven't. You you guys need to like right away. It's free on Prime. It is seriously, and I. I'm, there are so many lines throughout that whole movie that kept going through my head. And another sign that it's a great movie is that early in the movie, there's a scene, and I was like, oh, that's hands down. That's the best, best scene of this whole movie. It, 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 there's no way they can top it. And then there's another scene, and it's like, oh, that's the best scene of the movie. To the point where I don't even know what's the best scene of this movie because there's just so many fantastic scenes. So. Yeah, that's my recommendation. Like, you guys need to watch this ASAP because it's just, it's so good. Yeah, that's a, uh, you know, I've, I've heard a lot about that movie. Well, I say I've heard a lot about it. I hear, I hear the name of that movie a lot mentioned, you know, how good it is, but I really don't know anything about it. Um, but it is, it is on my list just because, you know, you mentioned three, billboard, three billboards. That's a movie I really, really liked, and I know it got a lot of uh, criticism when it came out, but it's 
I don't know. It was a to me. It was a very good movie. I really liked the way it was directed and the style of it. And so it's it's but, been very controversial. I, I won't get into the controversy. Just I also very I disagree with a lot of those criticisms. I, I, I thought movie. it was a good movie. Um, yeah, I think it's a pretty I'll great movie. At the same time, I I get where the criticisms are coming from. I mean, there you wouldn't certainly not wrong to I guess criticize it. Yeah, I, I get where the criticism coming from i uh it's i it's very much a thing of his movies and it's the same way with this movie it takes like very poorly abhorrent characters and he doesn't kind of he doesn't try to like you to like them but he just adds a lot of like humanity to them like a lot of charisma to them it's like not as easy to hate them even though they like do terrible things see that's that's something that i think is you know really good in movies like yeah, in real life, people aren't. It's not black and white, like good exactly. and bad. Like there's gray area, and you know, I thought that was something that you know he portrayed in Three Billboards, and it sounds like he portrays in this movie. So, oh yeah, he does that in all of his movies. They're they're fantastic. I think that's what another thing that makes me love his work so much is that he just adds so much like complexity to his characters. So yeah, I'm definitely. Uh, you said it's on Amazon, so I'll definitely try to check check that movie out this week. Sure, if you love Sam Rockwell, he kills it. Yeah, I do love him, so definitely makes my list. Yeah, looking at the cast, I definitely need to check this out because it's a uh, it's a pretty stacked cast. Oh yeah, and they're all great. I mean, it, for real. I can't wait to hear. I can't wait for you guys to watch. I want to hear what y'all think when y'all when y'all finally watch it. For sure, I'll definitely uh, I'll definitely mention it on here if I get to it this week. Um. But I'll go ahead and go next. Um, my film is sort of out of nowhere. I, I don't. Um, I, it definitely, if you haven't heard of it or didn't see it, it would not be a surprise to me because it did not perform well at the box office. But uh, my movie is uh, A Monster Calls that came out in 2016. Uh, it's directed by J.A. Bayona. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, he went on to direct. Um, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which I hated, but uh, I didn't know that until I was researching for this uh, segment. But this movie is, it kind of just really surprised me when I saw it. Uh, I saw it, you know, back when it came out and it was sort of like on a whim. I didn't know anything about it going into it. And my girlfriend at the time, uh, you know, we were just kind of wanting to go see a movie and nothing else looked interesting we kind of walked into it and it was such a great decision because i walked away you know this movie really had an emotional impact on me and i think that's why i like it so much um because it's kind of about it's just about a a child struggling with like dealing with a parent who has a terminal illness and being conflicted on you know kind of his experience in a new environment at school and, you know, having these guilty thoughts about like his mother suffering. Um, and it's just a really interesting, like it's, it goes way deeper than like a children's movie typically would go. Like it deals with themes that I feel like are super real uh, for people uh, that has, that have anybody that's dealt with loss in their life kind of could get something out of this movie. I think. Um, the performances are really good. That's kind of what sells it. Um, 
you know, Liam Neeson plays uh, the monster, the aforementioned monster um, in the movie. Um, and Sigourney Weaver is in the movie. She's also really good. And Felicity Jones plays uh, the boy's mother. And she kind of has, like, the best performance of the movie. Uh, it, it was really... This was before Rogue One, or it was, yeah, it was before, right before Rogue One, and it was kind of like her, I won't say coming out party, but I mean, it was really kind of the first time that she she came onto my radar and, you know, gave like a knockout performance, really. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I I don't want to give too much away about it because it, the ending is kind of my favorite part, and it, it really, it really hit me emotionally. I don't know. I just... I really like it, and I need to rewatch it because I haven't seen it since theaters. But like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if you hadn't heard of it. But I definitely would give it a shot just because it's it, it just goes to places that you wouldn't expect a kids movie to go to, and it actually does I think communicate a real profound message about um, the themes that it's portraying. So I de- I definitely think it's worth a watch. Yeah, I'm gonna I'll double down on what you said because I've I've also seen the movie, although it's been, I mean, probably since it came out since I watched it, and uh, it's a like Matthew said, it's very very good. It's very, it's a very moving movie. Um, very sad. Um, you mentioned Felicity Jones; she's one of my favorite actresses, and she's terrific in this. Um, but yeah, I I, I need to. You bringing that up, I I really need to rewatch it because I, I do own it. I've just only seen it one time, and it's one of those movies, I guess that I don't know. It's so it's so emotional that it's kind of hard to go back and revisit, I guess. But I mean, like 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 you said, like the first time watching it, I mean, it's it's so good. So I'm I'm definitely gonna go back and watch that one again, see if I can pick up on some other things. I want to do it as well because like you said, it is a fair point. Like some movies are just so emotionally like draining, even though they're good movies. Like I think that has been a big reason why I haven't watched it, but yeah, hopefully we can uh, get Cruz to watch it and get his thoughts. Yeah. I saw the trailer for it um, in theaters before it came out and it looked great, but given the, the uh, subject matter, it was like very, very relevant to like my life at that time. So I was kind of like, I'll pass on it for right now, but I'll go back around to seeing it. And I've heard it's great. Um, and I've been meaning to go back to it. And now that you've brought it up, I'm definitely going to go back because I really wanted to watch it. I really did. So I'm, I'm going to make sure to watch it. See where it is available. Um, let's see. Oh, it's on Hulu. So that's easy enough. Sweet. Yeah, I'll definitely give it a, give it a try then. Watch. I've been. I've been. I. I have wanted to since I saw the the trailers for it. Yeah, I don't think you'll be disappointed by it at all. Uh, like Matthew said, uh, the only other movie I've seen by this director is Jurassic World, which Fallen Kingdom, which I I also hated. But like as much as I hated that movie, it's like the complete opposite in the spectrum. Like I love a monster calls, so you know, I definitely definitely think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Slight uh, update. I, I was sli- I was wrong. Rogue One actually came out a week before this, so it was a big week for Phil City Jones. Uh, what year did you say this came out? 2016. Uh, Rogue One came out December 16th, 2016, and then this came out 
December twenty third, one week later. So this was this was after a theory of everything. I think that. Yeah, yes, I think so. Yeah, theory of everything was two thousand fourteen. Yep, yeah. that is right. That is correct. Because yep. he won Best Actor, Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, so it was a uh, it was definitely a big week uh, for the Felicity Jones uh, camp, but you know she definitely uh, it was a great week for her, and uh, I will be very eager to see what you think, Cruz. I'm very eager. Um, um, but with that, uh, I think now it is up to Jake to pitch his movie. All right. So my movie is about Tom. It's directed by Richard Curtis, and it came out in 2013. Um, it's you know, it's not like it's not like a amazing movie, but it's it, it has some flaws. But it's a movie that I very much enjoy. So I'm I'm really interested to see. I hope I can convince you guys to watch it, um, because I want to just know if it's if it's just me that like really impacted by this movie or uh, whether everybody else does. But basically. Basically, this movie is about a young man, uh, a British young man, uh, played by Dom Hall Gleason. And when he turns 21, he finds out from his father that every male in his family can time travel. They can travel back into the past, um, but only to only to points in the past where they were alive. Um, so it's got the sci-fi sci-fi feel for a what's really a rom-com and it's you know the sci-fi aspects of the movie don't work as well as the rom-com part does but to me it's like i said it's got some flaws in that area but it's a very moving movie it's very sad it's funny it's got a great cast it's got it also stars rachel mcadams and it uh margot robbie's in it a very small role and this was a month before um, the Wolf of Wall Street came out, so she was, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street was her breakout role. I don't think really. I know I didn't know who she was before that movie, and I actually saw About Time, you know, last year. So seeing her in this movie before she is, you know, the famous Margot Robbie was really neat. Um, Dom Hall Gleason is one of my favorite favorite actors. He's really very good in this movie, and Rachel McAdams is awesome too. So, you know, if you if you like rom-coms and like I said this one's not a traditional rom-com, it's a little bit more serious even though it has the sci-fi mixed in in there. Um I definitely recommend this. I probably didn't do the best job of selling this movie, but um I just I think it's something that everybody could could enjoy. Um Richard Curtis is the director, like I said, and he directed the movie yesterday i don't know if either one of you saw that um not a great movie it's kind of got some of the same flaws as this one but um i think this movie really excels in the themes that it's going for so uh i hope you guys decide to watch it i think it's on i believe it's on netflix it used to be on netflix so. yeah it's on netflix i was just looking yeah so I, wrote I yesterday he directed yesterday. I'm pretty sure. Directed yesterday? Let's see. I thought that was Danny Boyle. Maybe I maybe have it mixed up. 
Uh, I, I will check. It's like the only reason I went to watch yesterday is because I'm a Danny Boyle fan. But um, no, actually, about time. I haven't seen it, but uh, my stepmom was a big fan of that movie. So it was directed I, by Danny Boyle. Um, but Richard Curtis was a producer, and uh, he wrote the screenplay yeah. and was credited on the story. So, I mean, he based you know had a very big role in the movie. That's what I get for just glancing at Letterboxd and seeing the, seeing <laughs> well, the movie he appear on his account. I don't mean to sound. I didn't mean to sound like a like a no. Yeah, hurt. I was just like I was like that was like the whole reason I went to see yesterday is because I thought Danny Bull directed it. Well, to your credit, Jay, uh, Richard Curtis also directed Love Actually, which I have not seen. Um, but I guess he's a big on the rom coms. Yeah, and then the fact that he wrote the story—I mean, those those plot elements still kind of bleed through. I feel like. So if I mean, if you're comparing plots, I mean, I think that's fair. But it is strange. I mean, I don't it, looking at the photos and like the cast and just kind of like the tone from. The pictures I'm seeing, I, it, it definitely doesn't. I wouldn't guess that it's a movie that you would pick to watch or enjoy, but I, I definitely I'll take your word for it because the cast yeah. is really good, and I definitely like when if I'm gonna watch a rom com, I definitely want it to be more than just like the cliche traditional one. I've had to watch a few in my time, so I, I definitely appreciate when they go the extra mile. This is this is definitely not the traditional rom com, and believe me, I've I've got rom coms are kind of kind of my guilty pleasure movies. So I've seen a I've seen a good bit of them. Um, you know, like you said, I don't like the you know some of the more generic popular rom coms, but there's some really good ones out there that do some unique things, and I definitely place this movie in that category of you know doing some unique things, at least trying to trying to do something a little bit different. And that's, I, I really think that this movie works in that capacity. I'll definitely well, give it a watch. My, my, like I said, my stepmom really loved this movie. And she had pretty good taste in film. So, uh, I, and I tr- also, I trust your taste, Jake. I know that we usually have similar taste. If you like something, usually I like it. So I'm definitely going to give it a shot. That's good to hear. And Leighton uh, loves Rachel McAdams, so I'm sure one or my wife Leighton. So once I pitch that to her, I'm sure. I mean, who doesn't love Rachel will, McAdams? I mean, she's never had a bad role from what I've seen. So I definitely think once I throw that out there, she will be. She'll make more time to watch that before she will uh, Lord of the Rings. Sadly, so I, that's what I think. <laughs> that does make me sad. You you've got to get on that. You got to make her watch yeah. that movie. Or one third of the way through, we gotta. We still got a ways to go, but um, yeah, I think that about wraps up the first segment, though. Uh, are you guys ready to talk about uh, this amazing, amazing film that we get to watch and talk about? Uh, yeah, I've, I've been ready for this whole week, so yeah. I'm super excited. Cruz, you ready to go? Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, the Whiplash review will follow right here. Uh, so yeah, uh, Whiplash, the big movie of of twenty ten. I think it's actually like the like highest rated, most praised movies of the two thousand tens decade on Letterbox, like top ten the narrative features. Uh, this is directed by Damien Chazelle. 
who has direct who's gone on to direct other films like First Man and La La Land. It was like his first breakout movie. This was the movie that really kind of put him on the map. Um, but uh, essentially, uh, I kind of just want to get into like the story a little bit first, um, and I want to get what you guys thought about the story. The people listening, essentially, it's about uh, this kid uh, played by Miles Teller who wants to be the greatest jazz drummer in the world. Like the next, uh, I forget the I forget the jazz player he he looks at. Charlie it, Parker, I believe. Charlie Parker, yeah. Uh, he wants to be the next Charlie Parker. Um, he gets into one of the top music schools in New York City. And he's able to get a spot in, um, in a studio band whose conductor is like the top in the country named Fletcher. And then come to find out Fletcher is uh, off his rockers a little bit or he has a very unpopular method of teaching his students. And much the whole movie is really centered around Miles Teller really wanting to be the best and prove himself to his teacher played by J.K. Simmons and J.K. Simmons' character is pretty much just playing these psychological mind games with Miles Teller's character to kind of bring the best out of him. The whole movie is just like this push and pull. Um, so I really just want to see uh, first what you guys think about the story and kind of about the characters because I, this is really a it seems like a simple plot but it's a really a, a more character driven movie um the story is really interesting I, what for me i think this movie really succeeds in the characters because uh, i don't want anyone to be listening who hasn't seen this movie to be fooled the plot sounds simple but these are some of the most complex characters and there's a lot of like really nuanced writing in just the characters. I mean, these are some of the most fleshed out, well-written characters of, of that respective year, 14. Um, I mean, this is a really, really great story because it's got some really great characters at the heart of it. So I was just wondering what you guys thought about Fletcher and uh, I, forget the, I forget Miles Teller's character's name. Drew Neiman. Yeah, Neiman. I was wondering what you guys thought about it, about the story in general. Um, I I really loved it, and like you said, uh, kind of nailed, put the nail on the head. Really, it it seems it does seem simple when you talk about it, but as you go through it, and as you make it to the end, and um, it, it's kind of I think the way I relate to the movie is. The first time I watched it, I wasn't necessarily drawn to the plot, like el- like the events of the plot. I was so wrapped up and involved in the characters, like you said. Um, I wasn't necessarily cognizant of, oh, well, you know, this is happening and then this is happening. It was more so about, well, what is this character? What is character A doing? What is what is Neiman doing? What is, you know, Fletcher doing? Because um, you constantly want to see uh Neiman kind of break through and prove himself uh in this film and, and I was more so drawn by that less than him you know doing a certain thing in the plot I, I just wanted to see him actualize his goals and you know 
I, I think that says a lot about just how well these characters are fleshed out, like you said, um, and just how intense the film is from a character standpoint. The fact that it, they really just get you to be super invested, even in Fletch J.K. Simmons' character, you know, who is, depending on the person watching, you know, you could really just hate this character. But the fact that both of them are written so well and portrayed so well, um, I think definitely helps turn what seems like a simple story into a really fleshed out masterpiece, honestly. Uh, Jake, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, you know, these characters are, they really work because like, like Cruz said, they're very fleshed out. Um, you know, neither, you can really relate to, you know, this movie is really about these two, just two characters. There's other supporting characters throughout, but it was really about these two characters and more so Miles Teller, but Miles Teller's character. Um, but you can kind of relate to both of them, even though they're both not very good people. Uh, that may be kind of unfair to say about um, Miles Teller's character, but, you know, they're, they're both... Sure. Yeah, they're both kind of they're both kind of jerks, each in their own way. Um, and I'm I'm not even gonna say kind of for J.K. Simmons. Obviously, his character is just a, a almost a maniac. But you know, you're you can really relate to them. Some of the things they go through, and I'm sure we're gonna get more detailed into, into this discussion as we go through. Uh, but you know, going back to the plot, you know, like you said, it's character driven. But one thing that always stands out to me about this movie plot wise is that it's it kind of follows the structure of a sports movie. And I know me and Matthew have always had this discussion when we talk about this movie. But you know, this movie's about music, but in my mind it's a sports movie. And I guess and I, I know Matthew agrees with me there, but it has all the themes of a sports movie. Um you know, just the way it's structured and the way Miles Teller's character goes throughout the movie. Uh, always encouraged. Anytime I, I hear this movie brought up, I always encourage it to anybody that I know is a fan of sports or played sports because it's just there's just something about the plot and the characters that just really work on the work to me on that in that aspect. So. I know Matthew agrees with me. Is there anything you want to add there? I mean, I I do agree. And I think what it is, um, is that while it, like you said, it's not technically a sports movie, it definitely gives you the, um, it gives you like an exact, it's, and I will say exaggerated because don't think that, you know, if you're either in high school playing sports or you're playing sport, organized sports right now, please don't think that, you know, this is like an, ideal coach to player relationship, but um, it definitely does give you kind of flashbacks to the dynamic of a, like a tough coach and a player who, you know, just wants to be as, as good as they possibly can be. Um, you know, that, that kind of, it's, it's such an interesting relationship, I think. And me, you know, having my, my dad who, was like a coach for me in, in athletics um, in high school. I kind of related to it in that aspect where, you know, I would go home with, with my dad and he would be a completely different person than he would be on the football field or in the gym or something like that, um, where you can kind of go through these 
big swings of emotion uh, towards, a, in this case, a character. But I, I just like how, you know, the message of the film, while it is exaggerated in this film, and you will see uh, just how extreme it is if you've seen it, but just the idea that there are certain things that it takes to be as good as you possibly can be at something. And whether or not, you know, someone is willing to pay that price or put that work in, I think is a really interesting message. Um, and it shows too that it is achievable. I mean, now it is, it can go to extreme lengths, but I think that's what I like about it the most is that it kind of just reminds me of that feeling of, being frustrated, but also motivated by, you know, kind of being antagonized by like a, a difficult mentor or coach. Um, I, I definitely enjoyed that, that whole, the whole theme that it went for there, uh, just because of my personal experience. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's super, super good in that regard. You know, I want to, want to talk about one other thing when it comes to the characters. Uh, this is more, I guess, a question for both of you guys. I said the the movie's really just about those two characters, Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons, and there's other there's other supporting characters, you know, in the movie, obviously, but they kind of they kind of really get pushed to the side. Um, and I guess some people could maybe say that's a say that as a criticism of the movie, but you know, I guess. To me, it's not. I think it's the way the movie is meant to be, that those characters, it kind of works thematically. And for the character development, especially Miles Teller, that you know those characters are pushed to the side, especially uh, the... I forgot her. Her name's Nicole in the movie. I'm not sure the actress's name. Uh, you know, she's kind of pushed to the side throughout the movie. And, you know... Yeah, like it, you know, it, I feel like that kind of works with it, it goes along with the character development in the movie, and that it works to the betterment of the movie, in my opinion. But I could kind of see where that might be a criticism from for some people. So I was wondering how you guys felt about that aspect. Um, I, I'll go. I, I think that. Because of how I definitely agree that some people could see that as a criticism, but I just think that how the plot is structured, it it didn't really it wasn't an issue for me because all the development we get and all the scenes we get, you're never in doubt that they're they're there for the sake of either Neiman or Fletcher. Um, you know, there's not there's not loose ends in the movie. There's no wasted, um, there's no wasted time or wasted, um, you know, screen space. It's kind of like everything that you're seeing is for the advancement of these two characters. So if, if there were scenes that would imply that there was more to know about these side characters, I could see like an argument being made, but I think that, um, you know, Chazelle did such an excellent job just layering out the story and not really wasting any time or any scene or piece of dialogue. Um, I, I think that's how it kind of redeems itself there. Cruz, what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. It's one of those things where it's like, I can understand that's a, a, uh, criticism, but I, I kind of disagree with that criticism just because 
It's one thing if you're trying to make like this big epic where like almost every character counts. Something like Magnolia, like that would make sense when you have ten characters with their own arcs, like they need to be fleshed out. But I mean, really, this movie is essentially a character study of of two particular characters, and, and usually most character studies focus in on like one or two characters, and then the rest of the characters are not necessarily away cardboard characters but they're really there to like add to the main character and i think they are used very well um i, I feel like the girlfriend and the dad sure they're not fleshed out but i relate to them and how i can i can identify how they feel they still feel like people to me and that to me is a good sign i don't think when it comes to character studies like Every person has to be fleshed out, I just think, or used you know, for a majority of the runtime, but just make sure they feel like real characters and they add to the character study in a good way, I guess is my way. And I think they do in this film. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree with that. I was just, you know, I can see where, I mentioned that because I can see where that might be a complaint on some people, but, you know, there's a scene where Miles Teller's character, you know, pushes his girlfriend out of his life because it's, it's interfering with his goals in his mind. So to me, the way she's put in the movie in that manner, it, the way, I don't know, I don't really know how to put it into words, but the way she's used in the movie aligns with the way that Miles Teller's character views her. Um, and, you know, the, the dad, I feel like he, he's serviceable he gets, you know, he conveys what is needed to convey, needs to be conveyed, in order to make Miles Teller's character effective. Um, so yeah, it's definitely not a complaint on my part. I think you you also brought up a good point that, and that this also kind of goes into the filmmaking. I know that we're going to kind of get more into the directing in a minute, but this movie is very much subjective in terms of it is. We're really seeing this movie from the perspective of Miles Teller the whole time. So it makes sense that his girlfriend's not in it a lot because he's oscillating himself from her and her dad and his dad. So the movie does a really good job, uh, and we'll get into that more as we go on, of really kind of just keeping viewer in the perspective of, of Naaman or Neiman's character. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, Matthew, unless you have anything else you'd like to add, I think, Grizz, if you want to go ahead and jump into some of the, the things you noticed from a directing standpoint uh, in this movie. Yeah. No, I'm fine. Yeah, go. Let's uh, move into that. Uh, yeah. Um, enough. I mean, I've always loved this movie since uh since I first watched it. Um, but the filmmaking never really stood out to me. Um, probably because I was younger, and so I always just remembered it being just really well written. The acting was so compelling. But this viewing now, I've noticed that this is this is what I call like a film school movie, but not in like a way where it looks like a student made it, but in a way like this movie should be taught in classes because there's so many smart decisions in the director's chair that should people need to who want to make films should be aware of um just the the use of the 
way, although a majority of the film stays from the perspective of uh, uh, Neiman's character, there are times where it kind of shifts to the perspective of um, Fletcher's character, and it's in really, really well done ways. Like in the beginning of the film, the slow pan through the hallway of um, of Neiman. Not only is it just a really good way and kind of this build up and this introduction, but then you find out it was from the perspective of Fletcher because he's there. And really, there's a lot of good camera techniques for sure. Um, a lot of the direct Damien Chazelle is very smart, he knows where to put the camera, especially uh, like in the car crash sequence. I think it's very, very, a very clever idea to keep car wreck from inside the car because it remains with the perspective of, of Neiman. Um, I feel like most directors would just show car being hit outside of the actual crash, but the fact that he keeps it in the car really kind of keeps you in that perspective, and that's important. Uh, because as the movie continues, kind of a, a bigger theme of the film is that Damon is is really starting to just stop caring about his own health and everything around him just to achieve this. So the fact that you're kind of kept in the car with him and, and you're also not aware of any potential traffic uh, hazards is just very much a good job at keeping you with that character. Really where this movie, in terms of a technical standpoint, is fantastic is the editing. Um, uh, the way he's able to use these jump cut edits to show the passage of time also keep kind of this uh, of anxiety with the film because the film's very anxious. Uh, like when he is his first day to the uh, the studio and he realizes his clock, he slept past his original time and it just shows him quickly getting ready and getting straight to the studio and the way they just are able to edit that it's so fast that you feel super anxious but it's also just so effective and there's a lot of great uses of uh of this of the cool of the Kuleshov effect i think i i you pronounced that incorrect but there's a basically like way he will linger on a character's reaction linger on a scene and then just throw in a little edit of a scene happening somewhere else and the way that's able to just add so much to the story and kind of give you a better sense like and uh the th uh neiman and the other two drummers are having to uh match the tempo so they can earn the part for the big competition and Fletcher's like, hey, everybody else, like you guys just go do your thing, go get a coffee. This is going to be a while. And it shows them sweaty and, and hitting on the drums, but then it just cuts to a quick edit of these other band members in the bathroom, like washing their face and seeming frustrated. And like, most people would not even really think about that. Like, what's the point? But that's so effective because it just shows like the, pa the passing of time and the deeper frustration everyone has and it really kind of gives you the sense of they've been here for forever so I won't get too much more on the whole technical jargon but I was very surprised to see just how smart I mean Chazelle really was making this film like he really put a lot of attention to the editing and the uses of symbolism and how to use the camera it was very very impressive very impressive I don't know if he was nominated for a best director nod but he should have been because he did a fantastic job I don't think he was, but I guess I'm going to look that up real quick, but I don't think he was. 
Uh, yeah, we can we can definitely look that up while while Jake's looking that up. I I definitely just want to throw my two cents in. I I really agree with a lot of everything you said. Pretty much, um, I think it's interesting to note kind of directorial decisions that most people wouldn't really think about, but do have a very demonstrative effect. Um, and I feel like that's in pretty much every movie. You know, there's things that you know, the average person, not that we're, you know, super film experts or anything, but I definitely feel like there's a lot of things that people never really think about um, that do a good job telling stories or telling parts of a story. And it's without dialogue having to be spoken or without someone having to say, wow, man, it's really been a long time. Like they don't have to tell us that because we, you know, see the other characters in the, you know, bathroom, like you said, the little stuff like that. I, I, I think that's a really good point to bring up. Um, my favorite piece of probably direct, like at least from camera placement and point of view is probably, probably the end. And I don't you know, want to get into the ending right now all the way, because I'm sure we'll kind of get more into it um, as we move throughout the review. But I, I just, my favorite part is the ending, but I think my favorite part of it is how how much the camera is on Fletcher and not necessarily on um, Neiman, uh, because I think at that point, you know, the movie's trying to communicate that you know this is a character we've watched the entire time. He's been through all this. He's kind of progressed, and he's at a he's at a new height. He's at a new point, and instead of us kind of living in the moment of Neiman's perspective, we're seeing more so how Fletcher is now seeing him in that moment. And I, I, I really like that because how much these characters kind of go to, go to battle with each other in the movie. And then to kind of see like, to be given so much insight into what Fletcher, like his facial expressions of how he's seeing Neiman in that moment. Like, I think that's probably why it's my favorite part just to see how, um, he is a character kind of is seeing Neiman and how much he's transformed. Um, I definitely like that. I like that choice that they made there. Yeah. Man, I really, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say that I, I really, the scene when you're talking about the ending, what really sticks out to me there is the, the scene where it just, you just see Neiman's eyes and then you see Fletcher's eyes and it just, just there's so much conveyed through their, the, their eyes in that scene that it's just it's super powerful um and another thing that i really noticed you know i'm not as big into the technical aspects of movies uh but one thing i noticed in this movie is the way that the that the camera would swing quickly to uh fletcher especially early on in some of the scenes where he's you know going full full intimidation mode uh i just thought that the way that Chazelle did that, that it, it just really enhances how intimidating and imposing uh, Fletcher is. Obviously, J.K. Simmons got uh, jacked, <laughs> worked out a lot for this movie to become more physically imposing. But just the way that the camera moves in, ab abruptly in some of those scenes really enforces that. Um, but that's really all I had to add, Cruz. So go ahead and say what you wanted to say. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, we'll definitely have to talk about the ending in a minute because it's one of the best endings of the movie out there. But 
one thing that you guys reminded me of, and I swear I'll stop nerding out about like camera placement and stuff, but you guys brought reminded me of another thing that I found, thought was great. And whenever there's like the shot reverse shot of Fletcher and Neiman, where like it'll show Neiman and then it'll show Fletcher throughout the movie. At first, it'll always the way the camera's tilted is that it's looking down on Neiman is almost like he's like below Fletcher and the camera will be looking up towards Fletcher. As Neiman starts to get that ego throughout the film, they start to be equal. The camera placement is equal to each other. And then um up until any time Fletcher kind of gets the upper hand, camera always goes back to where it almost looks up at him like he's this imposing force. And I thought that was I noticed that this time around. I thought that was once again just a really smart decision and just subtle decisions. Like most people like who are not looking for it won't pick up on it. But it, without knowing it, even if you don't realize it, it adds so much because it really does make Fletcher feel so imposing throughout the film. But also as Neiman gets that ego, even though you're still kind of like, hey man, watch it. There is kind of he does seem a little less imposing until he kind of gets the upper hand on him again. So that's just another thing I wanted to get out. I'll stop yeah. there. That's very interesting. Uh, I did want to just say that it did not. He did not get nominated for best director, uh, but he did get nominated for best adapted screenplay. And kind of in the vein of what you're talking about right now, it did win uh, the Oscar for best film editing and best sound mixing. That had to. Yeah, the sound was phenomenal in this too, yeah. And of course, J.K. Simmons won for Best Supporting Actor, but we were talking about the, you know, cinematography and editing and stuff like that. So yeah, it, it definitely, uh, you, uh, you know, you were right about that. It definitely, uh, it was up to, it was up to snuff. It was definitely pretty, really good. Yeah, I just want to say, Cruz, I, I didn't notice what you were just talking about. I didn't notice that, but now going back and thinking about certain scenes from the movie i can rem- i can see it now in my head and like like you said even even if you don't notice it 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 does it does does make it so much more effective and you know it it, make, it really makes me want to go back and watch it again just to try to yeah. pick up on some of those some some of those subtle things that i didn't notice because you know i find myself especially watching this movie but you know with most movies I get so into the the characters that I don't always notice those little aspects. And, you know, that's especially the case of this movie because it's so intense. And, uh, you know, even though this is third, fourth viewing of the movie, I, I just find myself so anxious and like oh, yeah. into the movie every time. And I'm not, not always noticing every, everything like that. So I really feel like I should go back and watch it again just to kind of admire some of the technical aspects of it. That's also what's really impressive about some directors. Don't get me wrong, I love like I love it when directors get artsy with their editing and their and their cinematography and stuff. I do love it. But there is something really impressive when a director can do very artistic and like m- like methodical and meticulous things with their editing and their cinematography, but it doesn't jump out as hey, look at me. Like it's very subtle. And if you, you know, if you notice it, you notice it, but it's not, it, it never feels like he's begging you to notice these things. He just puts it there. It's always very impressive. Some directors definitely have an issue of like, hey, look at me, look how well this looks and stuff like that. But Zell just, he never, it never feels like he's, he's trying to do that. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, you know, if, like you said, if you if you're not noticing it, but you're still if it still achieves its desired effect, then uh, that really speaks to, I guess, how well you or how good you are as a director. And he's he's definitely not flashy, um, but you know his he does have a his own unique style that makes his films you know very visually pleasing you know not just you know he obviously directed la la land but also first man and i think all three of his movies are you know just very impressive to look at and you know easy to watch just smooth he's he's definitely one of the best directors working right now i don't think there's any question there i agree he's fantastic very very deserving in fact, he's the youngest director to ever have an Oscar for Best Director. So, I did not know that. See, so I guess he got the last laugh for not being nominated for Whiplash. But when he won for La La Land, he was the youngest. Still currently the youngest. Yeah, he's only 35. Which is, yeah. He's made That's impressive. Know, three masterpiece movies, pretty much. And uh I haven't seen his first movie, a guy Madeline on a park bench, but it's you know, I'll I really want to just because I respect him so much as a filmmaker. I haven't seen it, but I actually own it on DVD. It's one of those to... I've had a very hard time finding it. Like, you know, when you I, I don't I don't even remember how I found it, but I saw it and I was like, Yeah, I'm taking advantage of that. So I need to definitely get on that. But uh, you know, unless you guys have anything else you'd like to add, I guess we can Go ahead and move on to the, you know, some of the, talk about some of the themes that we, uh, this movie kind of has. Uh, Cruz, do you want to lead us off here? Uh, yeah. Um, for the themes, yeah, well, this is really where the movie. Directing and the incredible performances, the. It's the, to me, the writing really does shine because of of and it, it's all in the characters but yeah there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of similar themes in this movie that I feel like is in all of his movies like even first man in la la land and like a lot of it is a, a big theme I always feel like is in his movies and especially in this is, is kind of the the price or the the sacrifices that you have to make to achieve something you want um and like I said, that's kind of in all of his movies, and it's very interesting the way he uses different scenarios to explore it. But in this movie, it's really there. Because, I mean, like, you see um, Andrew, he's not only does he want to be the best, I mean, he not only does he kind of hurt his relationship with his dad, he breaks up with his girlfriend, but, I mean, he starts he starts really kind of just losing this concern for his own health. I mean, he doesn't care that he's in a car wreck. He's in a car wreck because he's not paying attention in the first place. He's too focused on trying to get back and get his seat to play in the competition. He, his hands are bleeding so many times throughout the movie. Blood is a big motif throughout the movie. And... He's, I mean, like I said, he's mentally declining. He's he's subjecting himself to mental abuse from Fletcher, which is an interesting thing that goes to the characters I guess we'll talk about because when we get to interpretations, I have a lot of questions I want to ask you guys. But 
it could also be that he's kind of doing this because Fletcher's in his ear, but I I think it's genuinely it's the biggest theme is is kind of just the sacrifice and the humiliation and and kind of this greater question of you know the price that comes with being the greatest and is there kind of is it true that you know to be great you have to kind of be tough and subject yourself to kind of this mental torture and and you know like what all comes and what are the sacrifices of truly being one of the greats and is it worth it being one of the greats because that's also kind of brought up i mean that's like the biggest thing that really jumped out to me in the film it's it's definitely um i like the way you pose that you know what what it takes to be the greatest or what it takes to succeed in general uh, humiliation is definitely a major theme of the film um and just it kind of i think you can interpret it a bunch of different ways whereas i think you definitely can't deny that neiman himself is always motivated by his own ambition but i think that as the film goes on you know it kind of takes on i would say partially it becomes like a dedication to wanting to prove um wanting to prove fletcher wrong just as much as he wants to prove himself right if if that makes sense um you know definitely the the defiance kind of in the last scene um where he's just like to me it it just kind of spoke to experiences i've had where you know if you've worked for something and you have earned the right to kind of gloat about it or be you know proud about it 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 kind of spoke to me in that sense where he he it was less about proving to himself that he could do something and more about showing Fletcher like hey you didn't break me like this is this is who I am like I'm not I'm not one of those people that's just gonna you know cry and run away like you can't break me I've become you know I've become stronger and you don't, you know, you don't intimidate me anymore type of thing. And I definitely think that's a redeeming, uh, redeeming theme of the film that I, I'm left with. I also like how it, it does leave it up a lot to interpretation because as you said, you know, you touched on the question of, is it worth it to be considered, um, you you know, one of the greatest in this, in the context of the film. And I like how the film ends where we don't see the resolution after, you know, the, the recital or the, the performance, like we, we kind of are just left in the moment. And I think that's really great because the movie could have went tonally to a lot of different places after that, whether it was like a, you know, a positive interaction between Fletcher and Neiman or whether it was, you know, Neiman having like self doubt about, you know, what it, what he had to do to achieve that. So I like how it left us in the performance where it kind of is up to us to determine or apply our own experiences um, to think about how we feel uh, each character, like where, where they end up basically. Uh, So, but I've said enough, Uh, Jake, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you guys both hit on some of the things I really want to talk about, and I really agree with what you said. Um, you know, this this movie, the ending especially, is, was really controversial to a lot of people because of kind of the you know the way it portrays 
or, you know, Matthew, you're talking about it, it leaves you kind of ambiguous, you know, up to your own interpretation. But, you know, a lot of people feel like that it kind of, you know, praises the way that Fletcher's acted throughout the movie, you know, that he's, he kind of, I guess you could interpret it as he won. I mean, he's all the things that he did throughout the movie had the desired effect because it really did bring the very best out of uh, uh, Andrew Neiman, Miles Teller's character. And, you know, I just, I want to say that I, I really find this movie very, very inspiring, even though the, the character of Fletcher is a, you know, what he does, the way he does things is completely wrong. I don't agree with, I don't agree with his methods. He's, you know, he's abusive, mentally, both mentally and physically abusive throughout the film. And, you know, the, obviously that's not acceptable in anything, in my opinion. But the, the intent behind uh, his actions, I think, is, you know, something that I, you know, I really agree with. And, you know, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is, is you know, right after, right after the car wreck and he's, uh, he's been kicked out of the uh, Schaefer and Fletcher's lost his job there because of the lawsuit and Fletcher just happens or uh, Neiman just happens to run into Fletcher uh, at the jazz club where Fletcher's playing and they, they sit down and have that conversation. And there's so much that you really gather from that scene that, you know, you, you see a different side of Fletcher there, but you can kind of infer what he's doing. I mean, if, obviously if you've, if you've played a sport, you understand, or you've been coached in whatever area, you understand, I guess, what Fletcher's trying to do, even at the very beginning when he's being abusive. But when he sits down and explains it, you know, that he's this whole time that he's, he's always been just trying to find his Charlie Parker. And he's, he pushes, he pushes people because he pushes people past the point they think they can go because he's trying to draw out, the very best in them. And I don't know, I just, to me, that's inspiring. And it's what I love so much about the movie, even though this guy is a, you know, ter- you can say he's a terrible person, but he's trying to do something good. Um, and there's really, a, there's a quote in there that he says that really stands out to me every time I watch it. And that's, he says, there are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. And, that that really i don't know i just i really love that quote even though i don't necessarily agree with it uh you know, i think that just the way that he he draws out and really pushes pushes people to pass their breaking point is you know it's just something that like i said it's controversial in the movie because at the, you can say at the end that he succeeds despite everything he did, everything he did all these wrong and terrible things, but he succeeds because he brings out the best in Miles, Taylor, uh, Miles Taylor's character. And, you know, I'm trying not to ramble. I'm trying to put this in the best words I can, but I don't know. Uh, I just, I'm interested to see what you, you guys, you, you kind of spoke on it a little bit, but your interpretation of the ending 
whether you guys saw it as, you know, this inspiring thing or is it something different in your mind? Um, so what do you guys think there? Um, well, for, since we're now in themes and interpretations, because there's a lot of things I didn't say because I was waiting for us to talk about interpretation. Um, there's just a couple things I wanted to say before we go in there that I, I forgot to say or wanted to say um, about other things. One... I thought Matthew brought up a really interesting point in the themes where it starts to become a thing where it feels like Andrew wants to or just please Fletcher anyone else. And I noticed some some interesting kind of eternal themes in there. Like he's kind of ashamed of his dad, and so he almost looks at Fletcher as a dad type of deal. And I thought they were you you just reminded me of some kind of interesting stuff they play around with with father figures in that film. Um, before, before, uh, I, I, uh, go into like interpretations. Also just want to say that I think this might be that this movie was scarier than like most horror movies. I just really wanted to kind of, once again, say like how anxious this movie is. The most anxious films I've ever watched. Oh yeah. I was like almost uncomfortable the first time I watched it. How people talk about uncut gems is how (laughs) I feel about this movie. I was about to say when I watched Uncut Gems, and this is not an Uncut Gems podcast, but when I watched that movie, I didn't really get, you know, the. I mean, there is a lot of tension in that movie, but this movie, like it, that, that's kind of just what I feel like. All the all the quotes about that movie, you feel it in Whiplash. I mean, hundred percent. Yeah, I was gonna say the only movie for me that I felt like was, that comes close to being just pure anxiety for me is Uncut Gems, either, either that or Whiplash. I think both are, are fantastic, which, yeah, we'll an Uncut Gems podcast, so I won't go on it too much either. Um, but, yeah, this movie is anxiety, and it's scarier than most scary movies, and it's more tense than most action movies of, like, the last couple years. But also, uh, I just wanted to say that uh, me and Jake were talking about this earlier. We talk about Heath Ledger's Joker and Anton Chigurh and and Hannibal Lecter as some of the greatest villains in film history, and I I definitely think Fletcher should be on there. He's one of the greatest villains uh, because he's just such a complex and one of the best performances of the decade. Phenomenal character. I think one of the best movie villains should definitely be kind of going up there when people talk about it. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Yeah, since we're talking about interpretations um i really don't i really don't know i think if i had to pick an interpretation i think it's probably a a, a darker ending from a more realistic standpoint i think that this will not only lead to a, a kind of a downward spiral of a uh, of Eamon's character that's kind of what i wanted to ask you guys there's a cuz the thing is is this movie not just the ending this movie's really ambiguous there's a lot of a lot of you said a lot of the criticisms is that it almost feels like they are condoning Fletcher's behavior i don't think it condones or condemns it i think that this movie just kind of presents a situation puts enough and amb- like ambiguous kind of stuff in there to where it really just asks the audience to make their own decision I don't think there's a right answer, which I love it. I think that's the best kind of movie. I love it when movies kind of leave it to you. But like I don't I don't know how if it's gonna be a good or bad ending. Um 
honestly. And that's kind of the questions I wanted to ask you guys. Do you think that Fletcher is a misunderstood character? Like, or do you think he's a sociopath? Because there's so many, I mean, obviously there's the obvious stuff where he's like crazy for like throwing the chair at his head and stuff like that. Um, there's like other subtle things where it's like he asks Neiman about his dad and it's like, it seems like he's just trying to make Neiman feel comfortable and get to know him more, but really he's trying to figure out things to use against Neiman. Then he, he kind of insults Neiman about his dad being a, a high school teacher later on in the film. Like kind of just like using that because he, he can tell he like reads Neiman and can tell that he feels kind of like his dad is inadequate not a not a successful person so he uses that to play with his mind but a very interesting thing in the film that was to me really ambiguous uh was the guy who uh hanged himself or student um and so the whole thing was y'all think that he really felt bad about the student being hanged because he cared about him or do you think that he was just afraid that because the character hanged himself that it was going to launch an, uh, an investigation on him. It leads you to kind of think at first, oh, he's kind of got humanity to him, but he also mentions to Neiman, even though he's he's obviously, he knows Neiman's the one who snitched on him, he kind of says, oh, well, I think the person who hanged himself that launched an investigation on me. Like, I felt like that could have also been a subtle hint that like that was something he was scared of, and that's why he was so torn up about that person uh, who took their life do y'all i don't know that was that really stuck with me in the film because then it also kind of comes into play he says he wants his charlie parker but they also mentioned that like charlie parker died of a heroin overdose at 35 and that's kind of the direction Eamon would probably go with that success and being that kind of mentally destroyed is is it kind of contra isn't a contradictory character that he's kind of Wanting that Charlie Parker, but he's gonna kind of send Naaman to that suicidal uh, path, which he was very depressed about when he found out a student killed themselves. Or is he? Or is this just once again kind of he's a sociopath and he just that's why he was upset and he really doesn't care about any of his students' health. He just really wanted that kind of success story. I was just wondering what you guys thought about that. I was really interested to see what you guys thought. Well, that's it's tough because there's there's several different things that you know it shows him interacting with what I take to be I guess a former student and his young daughter uh, before one of the performances early on in the movie, and it's it kind of seems like they have a he has a good relationship with that former student if that's what the, it is and that's that was kind of my interpretation of it, and you know there's also the scenes, like I said, the, the scene where they, they talk in the, uh, in the jazz club or whatever, you know, I have a hard time just, I guess making up my mind whether he's being sincere in what he's saying there. And it makes it even harder to know because what he then does to Neiman where he tries to absolutely just humiliate him um, at the show by telling him the, the wrong songs to play. Uh, so it's it is tricky, and I yeah I don't think there's a right answer, but you know I pers- my personal interpretation is that I don't 
I don't think he's a sociopath. I think that he really just all he cares about is really just getting the very best out of his out of his students. And I think the ending is, you know, we're talking about the interpretation of it there. I always interpreted that, you know, he he succeeded. He got his Charlie Parker. Miles Teller, Andrew is he's he pushed him to the point where he realizes now that that's that's who Andrew can be. And that's just that's my interpretation of the ending. Um, now I'll go ahead and let you kind of state yours, Matthew, and I, we'll come back to it. I have some more thoughts, but I'm, I want to hear what you have to say about Matthew. Yeah, um, I think it's it's interesting when you think about, like, Cruz, your question about his intent where he's talking about the student that hanged himself. Like, I definitely think that he does care about his students, and I think that in that moment it's purely just kind of he's just toying with Neiman in that moment because he knows that he's the one that, you know, filed the lawsuit about him. So I definitely think that's how I took it. I, I took it to mean that, you know, Fletcher is not stupid. He knows that it was Neiman and he was just kind of toying with him in that aspect. Um, I think it really all depends on, you know, your frame of, I guess, I, I hate to keep going back to athletics, but it's just, I'm so biased because I had a father that was a coach for me, like my entire life uh, uh, through high school. So like when I watch the film, I definitely think that it's, since it's a movie, there are, you know, uh, the, the qualities of Fletcher's personality and his strategies in teaching or, you know, instructing here, they're definitely exaggerated. Like I, you know, I don't think that, I'm not sure if the movie is wanting us to think that it's something that is normal or, you know, traditional. Um, I definitely think that at the core, at the base of it, I, I interpret it as he is just trying to get, like Jake said, he is just trying to get the best out of his students. Um, now, like I said, like Jake said earlier, I don't agree with the methods he uses. And I think that there are ways that you can be tough on a student or player or you know what have you you can be extremely tough on them without being abusive or without being you know vulgar or things like that um i think i think one of the biggest messages it kind of sends is that like you said earlier you know to be to be supremely great or to be transcendently great at something i think it, there's not going to be a simple route to that goal. I think that no matter how talented someone is, there's always going to have to be a point where they hit a wall either through their own experience or by, by being pushed by someone. And I think that's one of the things I agree with from the film is that it's, it's saying that, you know, it's not, it's not just about practicing. It's not just about, you know, doing repetitions of things, you know, it, there's going to be a come a point where you kind of have to break yourself and rebuild yourself. Um, and I kind of agree with it in that aspect, the ending, I, I would say that I do kind of lean towards Jake's interpretation as well. I think the fact that it shows, you know, Fletcher's like repeated, like I, I mentioned it earlier. Like, I think that the fact that it shows his reaction so many times to 
uh, Neiman's like performance. It's just kind of like a, you know, you can tell that he's like, there's that one scene where the camera pans to the top half of Fletcher's face, but you can tell by his eyes or just like the, like the muscles around his eyes, you can just tell that he's smiling like in, in kind of admiring what he's watching. So I think that the way I would see it is if the movie had about another 20 or 30 minutes, you know, it, it would see that Fletcher doesn't, at least with Neiman, he doesn't have to be traditional Fletcher anymore because I feel like at that point, both characters had been through so much and had changed so much, or at least for Neiman that now Neiman understands, you know, what it takes to be that level of great. And Fletcher understands that he knows it. And I think that's what I enjoy about it the most is that Fletcher is seeing that Fletcher is seeing that now Neiman understands and he doesn't have to be, he probably won't have to be ridden as hard or coached as hard. Um, and last bit, then I'll throw it back to Cruz. I don't think that the movie is necessarily condoning what he his methods were. I think the message, uh, I think the baseline message is just that, like I said a second ago, to achieve certain things, sometimes it may take unconventional strategies. And I think the only reason that the movie is as dramatic as it is is because it's a movie. Uh, I definitely don't think that it's trying to say that the only way to be great is to, you know, yell homophobic slurs at people. Like I don't, I don't think it's trying to say that, but I think, I think how someone interprets that really just comes down to what their life experiences were like. I played sports for the majority of my life. So when I watch the movie, I think I see, you know, a justifiable means to an end by, you know, what Fletcher does definitely the things he's saying and the things he's doing i don't agree with in principle but uh, at, at its core I, that's kind of the message i take away from it you know there's there's one really important thing i think that he says at one point uh miles teller's character says at one point in the movie is he doesn't want to be great he wants to be one of the greats and i think that's a very important distinction that the movie's trying to make that you know obviously you've got to work really, really hard to be great at something. But, you know, oftentimes to be one of the, the greats, one of the best ever, you might have to be, you know, you look at some of the best ever at like in sports, you look at like somebody like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. Uh, the thing that stands out about them is they're like almost maniacal and obsessive about what they do. And, you know, they're, their style of leadership, the way they do things was also controversial. But it's for that, those things about them is what makes them one of the greats. So I just wanted to interject that there. I think that's an important distinction the, the movie that's is actually, trying to make. That's actually one, the last question I want to ask you guys because I think, uh, I think if there's, in my interpretation, if there's any biggest question that I think the movie asks that I don't think a lot of people talk about I think it's uh, and just to say like I was talking about the ambiguous stuff I also don't think it's a product of sloppy writing I think like all the ambiguous stuff and all the questions are intentional I think this is like one of the 
one of the, one of the best screenplays of, of the last decade. But um, one, one question I really wanted to ask, because I felt like if there was any real question the movie was posing, um, and I wanted to get you, uh, your, your guys' takes on this, is I don't, I want, I think, okay, let me get my bearings straight. You guys, do you think the movie, the question that it could be asking is that, is it a bad thing that's going on, like what Fletcher's doing? And like, not in the, not in the stereo, like not in the, in the, like, not in the typical sense of like, oh, is it okay to yell homophobic slurs and like throw chairs at his head? I'm not, I, I'm not saying the movie's asking that, because I agree with you, Matthew. I don't think the movie's condoning the, the uh, behavior in that film. I think a core question that it kind of poses is that I think in the end, I think that Neiman will go on a destructive path. I think he will. I think it's just in his blood, but it shows in the movie that even though he's like mentally losing it and he's fallen apart, he seems almost more depressed and he leaves the school he thinks that he's not going to be one of the greats. And there's another scene in the movie where they talk about Charlie Parker and his dad's like, Charlie Parker died at 35 heroin overdose and no one knew who, like didn't have any friends. And Andrew's like, yeah, but everybody knew him. And I, I was wondering if one of the questions that the film asks, this kind of deals with like a, a philosophical topic that I know Jake is very interested in. I, I don't know if, if you're into it, Matthew. I just know Jake's mentioned it, but determinism. It's, is Fletcher wrong? Because Fletcher brings up an interesting point that Andrew's like, but don't you think you might discourage the next Charlie Parker? And he says no, because the next Charlie Parker wouldn't get discouraged. A lot of what we see in the movie is very arguably unethical, but it could just be the nature of things. And that it is almost like a deterministic thing that someone like Andrew is probably going to be greatest and then go on this destructive path and die at 35. But he would much rather live that life. That would be more fulfilling to him than being healthy and successful. And is that necessarily a bad thing to watch someone go on that path if that's what they want? I thought that might be, I think that was like the biggest question I kind of got from the movie is that all the unethical stuff we see, not necessarily condoning it, but is it really that bad if the person, Andrew, who will go on a potentially destructive path because he's kind of just in his blood to do it, that kind of deterministic idea of he was always determined to go this route, is it really that bad if, if he gets the fulfillment he wants, even if it's not something that we would all desire. Um, I'll, I'll go. Um, I think that, you know, that's definitely really interesting to think about. Um, I, I guess I'll frame it in, uh, let's assume that your interpretation is, is correct. And let's just assume that Neiman's character would go onto a destructive path and he does end up, you know, maybe dying early or just not, being connected to other people um i don't know it's it's really i'm kind of conflicted because i feel like depending on what the goal is at the end of the day i feel like one person should never 
get in the way of, you should never let someone get in the way of what you want to do. If you know that you have the conviction to do something, I, I personally believe that, you know, you should always set your sights towards that to do that. And whatever it takes, if that is what is important to you, then you're not going to, you know, you're not going to see the error in, you know, avoiding people or pushing people away. If that's truly what you want in the moment, then you're going to do whatever it takes anyway. Um, now, to an outside party, uh, you know, like I said, depending on what the goal is, should you interject with that? Should you try to stop that from happening? I think it's only natural that you do. Um, like if, for example, if my wife had a certain goal that I saw as destructive and it kind of took away from, you know, like if, if it, if it took away from my relationship with her or it started to, you know, be destruct outwardly destructive and I thought it wasn't in her best interest for her health, I would probably try to interject. You know, I could see the flip side of that where someone's saying, well, you're, you're holding her back. You're, you're not letting her achieve her goals. And I think that it's a boring answer, but I think context is everything. I think that if it's something that is, can be construed as non-destructive and it won't lead to your own demise, like if you can reach a goal and then realize, hey, I did this, like now I can kind of like recenter myself. I think in that aspect, it's acceptable, but where there's a big gray area is that we're always told from the time we're kids that, you know, if you have a goal, you should aspire towards it and you should do everything it takes to do that. But that can be, I feel like that can definitely be used for, you know, evil or negative things. And if you have your mind set on certain things, you could do some pretty bad or destructive things to get there. So. I don't know. I, I feel like I answered it, but also didn't answer it. Uh, I, I just think that it all depends on the person and it all depends on what the goal is. Um, but I would say more often than not that it's okay to push yourself in that certain aspect. You just have to know for yourself, is this worth it? Are, are I, Am I going to be able to reconcile with the decisions I make to get to this goal when I make it there? Um, and am I going to be okay if I never do? Um, I think those are some big questions and I don't know if I have the time to answer them, but I will, uh, I'll let Jake, uh, give his, give his thoughts. Yeah. I, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. And I hate to be like this, but there's, it's, there's no definitive answer to that. It's, you know, I guess it's, just a personal a personal thing like me personally do i have the same viewpoint that uh miles teller's character has no but maybe that's why i won't ever be the greatest at something you know um but no i just i don't really know how to answer that question it's just it's really interesting to think about and i definitely agree that Cruz, that that is one of the one of the questions that the movie is posing, and you know, in a way, La La Land poses the same questions. That, and oh yeah, the the theme of both of movies is what was that? Sorry, there's a lot of crossover thematically in his movies for sure. Yeah, like I think the main theme of both movies is 
how much are you willing to sacrifice to achieve your dreams, your goals? And, you know, like I said a few minutes ago, if to be one of the greats, you've got to, you might have to sacrifice, you know, some of your humanity or, uh, you know, you have to be willing to make sacrifices that other people or normal people wouldn't make. Now, is is that a good thing? I mean, I don't. I just don't think there's any real way to answer that. I mean, is it is it better to be remembered as one of the greats and live a short, but ultimately, I guess, tragic life, or is it, you know, is it better to live a longer, happier life, or, or I don't want to say a life of mediocrity, but you know. You live this long life, but you don't really, you don't really achieve what you always want to achieve. So there's always that little part of you that want, like, wonders what could have been. I mean, I was, I guess it's just a matter of personal preference. I mean, how I driven are you? Sorry, I think I think that's kind of a key point though that like, you guys have both said. It's like kind of just subjective, and I, I think that's kind of a thing the movie might be hinting at is that like. Like we like if if Andrew in real life Andrew goes big becomes the greatest dies at thirty five I feel like a lot of us would look at it as tragic but I don't think Andrew would look at it as tragic I think Andrew would be like hey but I was the greatest like if he could see himself outside of like after his death like I thought he'd be like no I mean like I would rather have this than you know live till ninety and not be the greatest so. Of course, like I think by saying it's subjective, I think that is the key. And I think that's kind of what the movie almost kind of asks is like I think like the movie purposely asks a question that doesn't have a right or a wrong answer is that it's kind of like if, if even though if what we see is is something that's tragic, Andrew sees it as as most meaning thing meaningful thing in the world, and that's kind of shown in the dinner table when they're like, you know, Charlie Parker died at thirty five and he's like, but we're talking about him at this table. It's like a thing of I think that's the thing the movie plays with too purposely is that everyone has this different view on on what is success and what is a tragedy. It's like it's, you know, is is I guess no one's right and no one's wrong, but I guess it does kind of beg that question is is Fletcher really in the wrong if in a way, he's giving Andrew the one thing he wanted most. I guess is just kind of a that was kind of just the interesting question that I thought was posed that I wanted to see what you guys thought about. No, it was, I'm glad you asked it because I mean it is. I think thinking about it now, it is probably the biggest uh, the biggest question left at the end of it. Um, and I think that's what kind of lends more strength to how ambiguous the the film is because you know anybody could watch it and probably get a different thing, different something out of it, you know, whether or not they are someone like Neiman, who's pursuing something that they have been told maybe is, you know, a pipe dream, or maybe they're, you know, maybe they've given up on something and they sort of, they take a negative, you know, a more depressing uh, take out of it, I guess. But yeah, it's definitely uh I'm glad you. I'm glad you asked it because it's it's a lot to think about. You know, I don't even have the answer to. You know, you said 
whether you can view Fletcher's character as being wrong. I mean, you know, obviously what he does is wrong, but is this in, intent wrong? And you know, that's the that's a much more difficult question to answer. Uh, I personally, I don't think his intent's wrong. I think that you know he's especially with the character of Andrew, he's identified this person who has this, whose goal aligns with what his goal is, which is to, you know, basically find the next great, find the next Charlie Parker. And, you know, he, he kind of separates Andrew in that regard because he recognizes that, that drive in him. So, you know, doing the things that he does to Andrew to reach that goal or to bring that out in him is, I mean, you can't say that, I can't say that that's wrong. Obviously, I'm still not condoning what he does, but like his intent with Andrew is not wrong. But at the same time, him doing that to other members of the band is wrong, if that makes sense. So I guess there's just real no, there's no real way to fully answer the question. And I guess this, that's one of the things I guess that makes this movie so great is you know there's so many different interpretations of it, and none of them are right or wrong. There's, I guess you could come away from each viewing of this movie feeling a different way about it, and you know that's a that's a testament to how good the movie is in my opinion. I think this movie will go down as a classic. I think it'll go down as one of the highest regarded movies of our decade and of our generation, especially. I, I genuinely think this will be of those movies in the long run that's kind of up there with just like classic movies that everyone points out as like yeah i mean if you you're a film buff and you got to go back in the day you got to watch whiplash you know weird to think because it's but i'm saying like in the future like it'll be one of those forrest gumps and shawshanks where everyone or pulp fictions where it's like oh you you want to watch good movies classic is whiplash i think it'll be one of those honestly i do i can definitely see it I yeah. say, I agree. And um, uh, what were you gonna say, Jake? Well, I was just gonna kind of bring up something I wanted to ask. You know, to kind of compare this to his other movies, where do you, where do you guys personally place this? And, and I guess you can rank the movies, or if you want to just compare it to La La Land or whatever. But uh, where does this movie stand compared to his other movies, you guys? Yeah, um, I'll just throw it out there. I, I don't have a ton of thoughts, but I do think that it is important to note the similarity in theme across his films. Um, you know, First Man, La La Land, and uh, Whiplash all deal with very similar themes as we've kind of touched on. And I think that just because I haven't watched La La Land in a more recent proximity to Whiplash, I think I would probably say that Whiplash is my favorite from him but i don't know i I feel like once i watched la la land i'd probably put it at the top spot um first man i think is still an excellent film although i definitely think it doesn't reach the heights that whiplash and la la land do um but that's kind of like i mean that's not really fair to first man it's still an excellent film um so i i think i think i'd probably go whiplash one la la land Super close to, and then First Man, probably. 
And I, I like I said, like you said earlier, I haven't seen his very first film either, but uh, those are the three big ones he's made. Uh, yeah, uh, my ranking. Also, though, to what Matthew said, um, I would like to go back and watch all three of his films again, uh, the, the three big ones, just because, I mean, I've always loved Whiplash, but watching it again now that I'm older, it's just like, wow. Like, really, really, really missed a lot of just how great he is as a filmmaker. Um, I love all of his movies. For me, my ranking personally, number one, my favorite is Whiplash. Um, number two, First Man and number three is La La Land. Um, and I know uh, putting La La Land last is a little weird, but I just want to say I'm not a big fan of musicals, which is a testament to how great La La Land is because um, I love La La Land. It's one of my favorite movies. I'm not a big musical guy, and I love space exploration movies and like just kind of those space movies. So that's kind of why I gave First Man the the, the over La La Land. I would like to go back and watch La La Land. It's it's been a year or two since I've seen it, but um, First Man's more my type of genre, so that's 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 one of the reasons why it has appealed to me more. But there's definitely a lot of undeniable craftsmanship behind La La Land. Yeah, there's there's definitely no wrong way to rank these movies. I personally, I place La La Land and Whiplash on the same level. Like they're they're both to me, they're both masterpieces. Um, there's no real way for me to say which movie's better. Uh, I do slightly prefer to watch La La Land over Whiplash. Um, La La Land's one of those movies I can just watch over and over again uh, for whatever reason. It's just, it never gets old to me. It's, I'd say it's borderline top five of my favorite movies ever. So I I would place La La Land just slightly above Whiplash in my personal rankings, and then First Man would be third. But that's no no slot towards First Man because I think that's an excellent movie that I feel like doesn't get all the the credit it really deserves. And I don't really know why that's the case. I I guess I think a lot of people probably expected something a little bit different out of First Man. There's no musical uh, number on the moon, really. Yeah. Yeah, I think people were probably disappointed by that. But, no, for real, like, I, I just think that people probably thought that First Man was going to be more about the the first landing on the moon, where it's more just about Neil Armstrong. And I think that's why it's so effective, because it just really peels back the layers and helps you, uh, you know, really see Neil Armstrong for who he was. It's an incredible um, character study. Yeah, it's it's so good and it's so so moving and you know there's the space sequences are tense. I mean, talking about anxiety, it's not oh, yeah. pure anxiety the whole movie like Whiplash, but those space sequences are the, the moon landing was one of the more incredible like film sequences that I've seen. Like it was yeah, it was, it it was, was tense, it was beautifully shot. Like it was just amazing. Yeah, that was a beautiful, beautiful uh, sequence. Yeah, um, like uh, we're. I w- I'm just gonna say now, I-, I would not definitely not be opposed in the future. Might be one of them who picks it, but I would not be opposed in the future of picking other Damien Chazelle films for an episode. Because, like I said, I mean, all three of his of his big films are just fantastic. Really, 
I, I mean, it is your turn this week. I mean, you could just huh. lay, lay another one up, but I wouldn't complain. I mean, yeah, same. Um, but I do feel like it's a little anticlimactic at this point, based on everything we've said. But um, do you guys want to go ahead and um, d- complete the formality of putting a rating on Whiplash? Yeah, I guess I'll I'll go ahead and go first. Uh, it, it gets a five. Shocker. I know yeah, yeah. the audience is probably just gasping right now, but it's yeah. it's a perfect movie in my mind. It's a masterpiece. Um, I don't really have any complaints about it at all, so it gets a five from me. Um, yeah, I'm gonna give it a three out of five. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, You're no um, longer welcome on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is, I mean, this is a five out of five if there ever was one. If this isn't a masterpiece, then it- it's the closest you can get to a masterpiece without being a masterpiece. I mean, this this movie is incredible and fires on all cylinders. So it's it's one of the easiest five out of fives I could give. Same. It's a five out of five. I don't, I mean, I definitely think everything in art and media is, you know, subjective. Uh, I would never tell someone agree. that they're wrong for thinking a certain thing. Uh, but I do. I would be hard pressed to find validity in any like major complaint of this movie. There's no wasted time. You're in it from the very beginning. The characters are great. Editing, the cinematography is great, and I don't know. Everything about it is great. It's a five out of five. And And I promise I'll shut up after this. But you just reminded me again of something about this movie. I went through high school. Had a, a a big group of friends i was in a th- i was a theater kid and so i had like a lot of friends in theater like a 20 plus group we loved movies and there was never no matter how acclaimed or classic a movie was there was never a movie where all 20 of us loved it there was always even with la la land like a lot of us love la la land there's a select few of us in our group who didn't like la la land and it was like that with every movie and i think whiplash might be the only movie that our like whole friend group of like 20 plus people saw and everyone thought it was incredible. The only movie and, and that stuck out to me because that's the only movie that like my entire friend group back in high school all agreed was incredible. It's impressive. I mean, that's, that's hard to do with any group of 20 people, much less, you know, a friend group. I mean, that is, that's impressive. Uh, but that is a clean five across the board. Uh, I, I think uh, we kind of all knew that going into <laughs> into this. That's where we'd end up. But nevertheless, uh, it is a clean five. And you should watch this movie if somehow you listened to this all the way through and did not had not already seen it. Uh, I'm sorry, but you still need to go watch it. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, but... You know, I mentioned it a second ago, and Cruz, it is your turn to decide the next movie for us. Now you can go right back to the Damien Chazelle uh, Woodhouse if you want to, but uh, it is you have the floor, and you get to uh, tell us what we're going to be watching next week. Don't worry, Jake. It's not The Shining. Don't worry darn, about it. Darn, I was I'm so excited to watch The, the Shining. I mean, <laughs> um, but uh. So yeah, um, I talked to Jake about this previ- uh, previously before the podcast. I- I've mentioned to you guys before, there's this guy 
who's been watching our podcast since we started. He's a friend of mine. He's been very supportive. He's uh, constantly messaged me saying that he's excited for a new episode and he loved like each episode. He's just been really nice and very supportive of the podcast. So I want to give him a shout out. His name's Blake. But um, since he was so nice, I told him that I was going to let him recommend through me um, for the first movie that I would choose. I just asked him, you know, it's a movie that you really want to see us talk about. So I'm, I'm going to go on his recommendation. And that's uh, There Will Be Blood. All Thomas Anderson classic. Thank you, Blake. Thank I'm you, Blake. Um, we we very interested to watch it because we mentioned in our uh, mentioned it on our No Country for Old Men podcast. We said that we thought No Country was better. That's a very contentious debate between a lot of people. It's been a while since I've seen this movie, but it's always kind of been in my top ten. So I'm very interested for us to watch it again because maybe we can address if we feel like this viewing if it kind of holds more weight against No Country than we originally gave it credit for, but. Um, very excited to watch this movie. It's been a while. Paul Thomas Anderson is my favorite director. So this is like top three Paul Thomas Anderson for me personally. So I'm very interested to go back and watch it again. Same. I, I'm super excited. I watched it for the very first time, believe it or not. I mean, like last year. I mean, less than a year ago. Um, I don't know how I made it that long, but uh, it was definitely uh, lived up to the hype. And I'm super excited to revisit it um, because. I mean, it, it was it was incredible. It was definitely an experience, and I, I am interested to compare it back to No Country and see what our thoughts are. Uh, because as of right now, I still would place No Country a little bit above, but we'll see what happens. Actually, um, funny enough, yeah, I watched it like first time maybe two or three years ago, and it was actually Blake who recommended it, the one who showed it to me. He was like, "You've never seen There Will Be Blood," and I was like, "No," and he's like, "You got to." Watch it, and that's actually what kickstarted me getting into Paul Thomas Anderson, who is now my favorite director. So I'm very excited to go back to this. This was the first, technically the first PTA movie I watched was Boogie Nights when I was like a child, and I didn't understand anything. So this was like the first time I watched it, actually could like comprehend what was going on. And that was this movie. Well, first off, I want to say you probably shouldn't have been watching Boogie Nights as a child. My family did not know it came on HBO at night, so I watched it like eight. Well, what they don't know, it's fine. True, but yeah, I'm also like just super pumped to talk about this movie. Uh, I almost recommended it last week; it was almost my pick. But I kind of had a feeling that you know, Cruz, you being the the PTA fan, I figured that you were going to go this direction or go with one of his movies. So that's the, ultimately the reason I didn't pick it. But I'm just. So excited to talk about this. Uh, it's got some of my, you know, it's probably got one of my favorite performances of all time in any movie ever. So, yeah, I'm I'm super excited. It's going to be a great time, and uh, I cannot wait. It's going to be a long week to wait. I may I don't know. I may watch this one earlier than normal. I usually wait till like either the day before we record or the day of, but I may, I don't know if I'll be able to wait on this one. I may have to go I may watch it tomorrow. It yeah. I may <laughs> go ahead and knock it out. This is, uh, you know, this is a movie that I just periodically go on YouTube and just like YouTube certain scenes from that movie and just watch over and over again. So oh, yeah, it's, it's so hard to not just start the review now. Cause it's <laughs> such an, like, there's so many iconic scenes, which I know that we'll definitely into it. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, uh, the first four-hour podcast I feel like will probably be about Lord of the Rings. If that, if that, does, if we ever hit that length, uh, probably be about that. But yeah, it's going to be a great week, and um, got something to look forward to as do as I do every week. But um, guys, if you have nothing else, uh, I think this is where uh, we wrap this up. Yep. Can't wait. Can well, yeah. It's going to be fun. Uh, thanks for the support, everybody. Uh, if you've made it this far, uh, like always, we do appreciate uh, all the feedback. Um, you know, definitely follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Don't be afraid to tweet at us or comment uh, any, you know, movie suggestions. Or if you know us personally, if you're, you know, like Blake, you know, recommended to cruise. You know, if you want to see us talk about a movie or want to listen to us talk about a movie, definitely shoot us a text, tweet us, whatever. Um, everything will work. So, uh yeah, just thanks again. Uh, follow us on Podbean if you're a third-party subscriber and Apple Podcasts as well. If you're not already subscribed, uh, go ahead and do that. And we pop, we put these out once a week. Try to do it every Monday. Um, so yeah, without for without anything else, um, that is going to be the show this week. And we really appreciate the support. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>